0: I wonder, have you ever felt overwhelmed by the long list of things you should be doing? It's like there's room for growth in absolutely every area of your life, and you don't even know where to begin. At work, you've got a long list of assignments, meetings, deadlines, emails. You know you should be working ahead on the next project, but you're barely recovered from the last one, professional development. Sounds nice, right? For the day when all the should-dos are finally done. But at least after a long day of work, you come home to an even longer list of things you should be doing. Forget the regular tasks of cooking, cleaning, shopping, and then cleaning it all up again. Every time you walk into your house, you're greeted by a kitchen that's saying, like, still don't have a new backsplash. Right, or dining room that's wondering if it's going to have to paint itself this year. And that doesn't even start on the backyard. I just so many things that you should be doing. It's hard to get it all done, especially when you have a calendar that's filled with endless social obligations. All the people you should be seeing more of, you should be calling more regularly. You value the relationships, but it just seems like every time you invest in one friendship, right, you end up neglecting another one. And so you try to make up for it, seeing everybody that you should see. And then you get so tired, you need a month off of seeing anyone just to recover. And then you're right back to where you started. And then you have kids right? You feel like you should be giving them every opportunity to chase their dreams and expand their worldview, but then you wonder if you should be signing them up for less things so they're not as tired as you feel. You should be reading 20 minutes a night, but you should probably be giving them space to just play and develop independence, and you should encourage them to get a job, right, and learn discipline, but but you should really let them enjoy these years. So many things you should be doing as a good parent. But you got to balance it with your own self-care. Right? You know, you really should be laying off sugar and alcohol. And, and you should be getting to that gym that you pay for every month but only go to once a quarter. Right? You really should be getting off your phone and going outside. But the truth is... That mindless scrolling is actually soothing sometimes. And then don't even get me started on your religious life. You should wake up extra early, right? To pray, to read scripture, to center, to set intentions. You should read the weekly email blast and click on all the links so that you know all the opportunities. You should sign up for your fair share of them. Coffee fellowship doesn't take care of itself. But it's hard if you only get here once a month. You know you should really be here every week. But that bumps into like three other things that you feel like you should be doing. And before you know it, you feel suffocated under a massive pile of shoulds. Anyone else? I know I'm being a little dramatic, but it's not far from the truth, is it? Well, at least we're entering the season of Lent a season often marked by a couple more religious should-dos. But here's the deal. I think today's passage might help. I think today's passage might help us navigate the many things that we feel like we should do, and it might help us engage in our spiritual life, and honestly, the rest of life, too. So I want to set this passage up a bit. In the verses leading up to today's reading, Jesus calls Levi to be one of his disciples, and it stirs up some drama because Levi is a tax collector. Now, I know that no one loves the tax guy, but this goes way deeper than that. You see, the Jewish community and their sacred land was being occupied by the Roman Empire. Imagine this with me, all right? I'll try to bring it in today's world. Imagine Canada and the United States play a super high-stakes game of hockey, and the winner gets to keep the other country, right? Like all of it. And then imagine with me that Canada won the game, which shouldn't be that hard to imagine, right? That's, that's. So Canada wins a super high-stakes game of hockey. They now own you. But they don't want to get dragged into all of the weeds of running the place. And so, what they do is instead they plant tax collectors in every town. These tax collectors are Americans, but they're kind of pro Canada. And you have to give them your money. Can you imagine how that might rub some people the wrong way? It's hard enough to give money to your own government. Can you imagine what would happen if Texas had to send money to Canada every month? So that's sort of the vibe of Jesus' town. Levi is Jewish and a tax collector for Rome. He's like one of them, but he's also seen as as a crook and a sellout. So Jesus is gaining quite the following. He's just starting to get noticed. And then he has the audacity to invite one of those tax collecting sellouts to join his inner circle. Levi is so excited to be on the team, he throws a party for Jesus and invites all of his tax collecting sellout friends to the party, and not only does Jesus show up, but he eats and drinks with all of them. When the Pharisees see this, they start complaining. They say, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And this party scene eventually leads to today's confrontation as the Pharisees and the teachers of the law once again approach Jesus. And we'll just read this whole one. So this is from Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. They said to Jesus, John's disciples, that is John the Baptist, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, yours go on eating and drinking you feel the energy a bit. The top religious leaders of the day are a little annoyed that everyone else seems to have to fast and pray, but Jesus' inner circle is always having fun, always eating and drinking. They want to make sure that Jesus knows about all the spiritual disciplines and practices that, that he should be doing. They should be fasting. They should be praying. They should find themselves some slightly more religious friends. There are so many things that Jesus and his disciples are going to eventually be accused of. And I've always just loved that in the first couple weeks of his formal ministry, they have a reputation for eating and drinking too much. Right? Like, how good is that? I can see it in some of your faces. Some of you are thinking it's time to give your life to Jesus. (laughs) And Jesus answered them, Can you make the friends of a bridegroom fast while he's with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they'll fast. Translation, just like you'd never tell a groom's friends to stop partying at a wedding, I'm not going to tell my disciples to stop eating and drinking. There will come a day where I won't be with them, and they will look to fasting and praying to connect with me. But today's not that day. Then Jesus told him a parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskin will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. Now, I know it's a little coded, and so once again, translation. It would be absolutely ridiculous to expect me and my disciples to cut up our new garments, our new way of doing things, so that we might patch up your old and tattered way of doing things. It's a shot. No one would dismantle something fresh and good so as to repair something that's falling apart. That would make no sense. Just like it would be absolutely ridiculous to expect me and my disciples to take our our new wine, our living and bubbling way of connecting with God and then to pour it into your old, dry, and inflexible wineskins. It would blow your stuff up. Essentially, your religious structures can't contain the living, breathing thing we're up to. I get that your robes might be falling apart, and your wineskins might be drying up, but we're into something so much bigger than a religious patch job. Now those are some strong words for them and for us. I think the church in every age needs to be weary of the day in which their systems and structures become so dry and rigid that newness doesn't feel at home anymore. Now, truthfully, I feel bad for the religious folks in the Bible and in today who constantly find themselves at odds with Jesus. I genuinely don't think anyone tries to be a stick in the mud I I just think people have inherited at times religious structures that that emphasize the should-dos, right? Or or maybe better known as the shalls and shall-nots. And if you've ever been really good at keeping all of the shoulds, the shalls, the shall-nots, you know how extremely gratifying it can be, especially when comparing yourself to others who who aren't so good at keeping them all, who won't, don't, uh, just choose not to. Maybe you inherited a system like that, have been fed a a story like that, or maybe maybe you've been hurt or rubbed the wrong way by a system like that. I wonder if you've ever found yourself sitting in a pew listening to a long list of, of shoulds, shalls, shall nots, have you ever felt like, like church better resembled tattered robes and religious to-do lists than a, than a tall glass of wine and a, a fresh, clean shirt? Have you ever entered the season of Lent and felt obligated to give something up or to do a little bit more, to make up for the other seasons where you didn't get done all the things you should have gotten done? Yeah, yeah. So what do we do with all that? Do we just blow it all up? Just simply forget about Lent? Forget about fasting? Forget about praying? Forget about anything and everything that, that isn't fun? Right? Let's just eat and drink like Jesus' disciples. First of all, yeah, let's eat and drink like the disciples this Lent. Same, shameless plug, right? Number two for the day. Lenten potlucks. Every Wednesday through Lent, we're going to throw a party. there will be potlucks. There's usually boxed wine, which is fine. Kids' activities. It's it's a lot of fun. Just show up. Bring a dish. What's the saying people use? Bring a dish, bake a dish, make a dish, whatever. Wednesdays at six o'clock through Lent. Come have a good time. As together we strive to be more like Jesus' disciples, at least in our eating, and drinking. But what about the other stuff, right? What about the fasting and praying and all that stuff? Should we still do that this Lent? Should we fast and pray this Lent? No. I don't think we, I catch it, should do anything, I don't care what the program or the practice is. If you're doing it just to like check another religious should-a-do box or or lessen a little bit of the should-have-done guilt, then no, right? No. In fact, please, no. You might end up doing more harm than good. But if it's to expand your spiritual awareness if it's to strengthen your connection to God, if it's all being done out of a place of of joy and grace and freedom, then yes, right? Like every time in all places, yes. Fasting to just check a religious box, not helpful at all. Abstaining from anything, for the purpose of clarity and, and feeling connected to something outside of yourself, something larger than yourself, amazing every time. Praying because you feel like you should, because you'll choke on the food if you don't thank God first, not helpful at all. Offering a prayer for someone you care about, coming in for an Ash Wednesday service and holding hands in a little circle and speaking your hopes into being, creating silence so that the love of God can warm your tired, weary soul. Amazing. Every time. Just because Jesus defends his disciples' reputation for eating and drinking too much instead of fasting and praying doesn't mean that Jesus is devaluing the spiritual life or the specific acts of fasting and praying. Just three weeks ago, we read a story about Jesus fasting for 40 days. And as we continue this story constantly, we're going to see him step back into quiet spaces so that he he can pray with and for his disciples. It's just he's doing it because he wants to, not because someone told him he should. Prayer, fasting, showing up at church, reading the weekly blast, right? Being generous with your gifts and your time and your talent. These are all spiritual disciplines. They're practices that we pick up along life's Journey, sure, they can become sources of guilt and shame if we approach them from a place of should. But they can also be life giving and nourishing, right, if we freely choose them and we enter them from a place of joy. And so, give me this one. As I once heard it said, friends, you really got to stop shoulding all over yourself, okay? <laughs> You can keep that one. That's good. I might get in trouble for this. <laughs> this thing that we're doing, this like God, Jesus, grace, love, church, freedom thing, it's amazing. It doesn't have to fit any like pre-established boxes or any institutional frameworks. It's, it's a still speaking sort of thing, right? It's, it's a living and breathing sort of thing and it is worth everything that you can throw at it not because you should but because it really is that good of a thing to be a part of i know that many of us have have remnants of other things that make noise from time to time right that reignite this religious chatter that that causes us to feel like we should be doing more but that's not grace that's not love that's not jesus Next week, we're going to listen to one of Jesus' sermons. I'm sure many of you have heard of the Sermon on the Mount. We are going to read the entire Sermon on the Plain. And spoiler alert, Jesus' sermons are never filled with shoulds, shalls, or shall nots. In this sermon, Jesus starts with a long list of blessings. He then moves on to a whole bunch of loving your neighbor as yourself and then he finishes it off with a good old-fashioned, don't judge people. It's one of the best sermons you will hear in a long time, and we're going to read it together. And the best part is all that blessing, all that grace, all that like free invitation to, to engage in the spiritual life as you feel called and as produces joy in you, it will take you so much further than any should, shall, or shall not could ever get you. Friends, I hope you're having as much fun as I am rekindling uh, my enjoyment, excitement, just all of it with Jesus. I I hope that you keep following because each week builds on the next and this whole thing is leading up to Easter. And so we'll see you again next week. Amen.